0: the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. It's a privilege to be here with you. Appreciate the thoughts, inspirations thus far in the service. I pray that the Lord will continue to bless us. Before we start into the message, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your presence. Thank you for your fullness. Thank you for your love giving us divine life within. We just ask for your presence to be here and its fullness to touch every soul in this congregation. Lord, we want your word to go forth. It's your message. It's your word. And I just pray that you would illuminate our understanding of who you really are and what you really want from us as your dear children. Thank you for being a wonderful shepherd, giving us life. And I just pray that you would truly be lifted up and glorified as we look into your word. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Well, this message is going to be more of a practical message that we will share with you. The title is The Power of Choices. We're bombarded with lots of decisions. I did a little research in my studies to figure out how many decisions we make in one day. And it astounded me. Through my studies, what they have perceived Each individual to make 35,000 decisions are made every day. It's unbelievable. The magnitude of these choices will lead you somewhere. Now I will say that some hold more weight than others. But when you make choices, it's a little bit like going to the pond and taking a little rock and throwing it across the pond As it skips, there's ripples that flow the whole way out to the shore. When we make our decision, it has an effect like that. Upon our children, our church, and our communities, everything we do matters. Very much. We all make choices, and the choices make us. And our lives reveal the subtotal of all our choices. God, give us wisdom. Give us understanding as we face many choices throughout the day. Also, Lord, help us see the impact of our choices. I'm look into the Word of God for a couple of Bible characters, and then we're going to get more practical at the end of the message Let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. The first family that started walking together on this earth. We're going to learn a few things from them. Starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the tree... But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the servant said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened; ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did. Eat and also gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. That beautiful union was gorgeous and lovely and perfect. As they walked with God every day, it was the most heavenly experience anybody ever experienced. The fellowship, the unity, the oneness, the enjoyment. That they experienced as they walked with their Savior. And they were given direction. What to eat and what not to eat. But one day Satan came on the scene. Presented this question. Hath God really said. And that's what he's doing to us today. Trying to get us to question God's authority. Of God's word. And I see many people questioning God's word today. More than probably ever in our generation. Hath God really said? He's using the same tactic. Questioning God's authority. just started turning the cogs in Eve's mind. It's like, well, yeah. What about this? Satan lied lied to Eve. You will not die if you eat this forbidden fruit. Also, Satan presented a question. You know, God is not really good. If God is really good and loving and caring, He will allow you to do anything. Even eat that fruit. God's restricting you, confining you. You need to be liberated. And so she thought for a while, and you know this fruit looked very enticing, beautiful, and it whetted her appetite. And she thought, you know, I could become smart, intelligent. I could know good from evil if I partake of this tree. Finally, temptation was so great, she yielded. And also gave some of the fruit to Adam. That plunged them into despair, into guilt, shame. That decision changed the whole human race. And we are experiencing effects today. The magnitude of your choices will bear a tremendous impact upon this congregation, this community, your own home, in a powerful way. God, give us wisdom. On the hills of this major wrong choice, we have Cain. And he was given precise direction, what to do, what not to do. And each charted another course. Hath God really said to bring an animal for a sacrifice? Maybe I can bring the first fruit of the ground. And God will be pleased and satisfied. And he was not. He was angry. He says, I will give you a second chance to repent and bring this great offering to God. But Cain said, no. It will be my way. And bitterness started brewing in his own heart. Pride. Jealousy. To the point that he slaughtered Abel. That brought the perfect uh, offering to God. What a sad commentary. Sad end. It ended in murder. Remember Lot and all his wrong choices. He won the easy life. He looked at the plains that were well watered. Decided to pitch his tent toward Sodom. The devastation of that choice affected his family. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. He lost his children. Lost everything. The city was burnt. Because he wanted the easy road. He wanted the easy street. He wanted God. But he wanted to have the flesh as well. What a sad commentary. He lost his spiritual legacy. Sad. The power of choices. Some years ago, I met this young couple. And he come out of the depths of the world. He was a drunkard. And his wife was unsaved. And they got married. And they found Jesus Christ. And they had a radiant testimony of the saving grace and power of Christ in a marvelous way. I was very close to his family. We used to go visit him several hours away. And I remember spending a lot of time talking to him about the Word of God and he was hungry for the Word of God. He loved the Kingdom of God. We had a lot of discussions in the barn. Throughout his experience, there were some church issues and there was a church split and it affected him majorly. But he got over that home by the grace of God and traveled on and then there were some financial issues in his own home. Farming wasn't going very well. He wanted to raise his family in that environment. I think he had a good heart for that outworking. But he could not manage very well. he deeper and deeper in debt. And the pressure and the weight was there. And then there was church issues again on the rise. There was misunderstandings. Bruin. In the body of Christ, and finally, one brother hurt them deeply. And I remember Piscesi on his journey. He was climbing this this road up. And I remember Piscesi where he turned totally. There was a crossroads in his life, it was right here. And I remember sitting in the living room, pleading for him. He was becoming bitter discouraged, disappointed in his church. I said, brother, don't do it. I preached a little message of a lot to him. What he did, I said, you are right at the threshold. You're going to totally destroy your children. He had a beautiful family. He set his jaw. I can still see that jaw. He said, they hurt me. And they're not going to hurt me again. He was in tears as I spoke to him. I pleaded for his soul. And his family. To make a long story short. He plunged into despair. And headed down. He's headed toward death. I can't hardly believe it. He joined the Anabaptist community. Church. It was all looking good. But he got bitter. Today his children are wearing shorts. They're in the world living it up. It's up. It's said. To see the outcome. The devastation of his wrong choices. God help us. And I'll share you another story. That I shared just recently. At our own congregation. And I'm not going to go into all the details. That my mother. Was at the crossroad of her life one day. And you don't understand the whole story. But my dad. Was on medication most of his life. He's a radical man. Schizophrenic. The first ten years of their married life was wonderful. He said, I couldn't marry a nicer man. And he made a lot of wrong choices. Never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And things were just crashing. Majorly. And the boy, he becomes so radical in his thinking. He exalted himself. Said he was Elijah. You had to go through him to God. And so mom was struggling to raise her small little family at that point. There was loving us in the family. But I wasn't born yet. But I remember, as she had told me this story, she wrestled with serious issues in her life. Broken dreams to the highest degree. Everything was crashing all around her. And I could take you to the place where she went upstairs and looked out the window towards the woods, and she said she wanted to run. In her flesh, she'd wanted to just run away from all of it. And escape it. The pain and the disappointment and the heartache was just pounding upon her. And she tells a story where Fally, after a great wrestling like Jesus wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane. She dropped to her knees. And she said, Lord, by the grace of God, I'm going to stay and raise my family for the kingdom of God in spite of what I face, in spite of what I go through. And that that changed her life completely. From that point on, she charted a whole different course. I would not be probably behind this pulpit without that decision. She stayed home and salvaged the children in a powerful way. She had a tremendous godly character. I could tell you story after story after story about her life. The impact of her life has did tremendous amount of good working and and, uh, redemptiveness in our family. Praise God. We've Face the lowest times of a life. It's the most critical time. Don't look for another way out. Don't look for Sodom in the easy way. Go to the foot of the cross and seek Jesus Christ. And find real joy and peace. We have King Saul that started out right. He was on the right track. When he was little in his own eyes, God prophesied. Prospered him. And his kingdom was growing exceeding. But as time went on, he became lifted up in pride, thinking, Look what I'm doing, look what I'm experiencing, and accomplishing. And he started making wrong choices. One after the other. Finally he came to the place where the kingdom was taken away from him. And it's a sad ending said commentary at the very end of Saul's life, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Why? Because of wrong choices. He knew the truth. He knew the light. And he didn't walk therein. he chose another path. I want to start something else into this uh, place right now. Is God's perfect will or God's... God's perfect will or God's permissive will. That's what I want to say. You know, as the... Israelites were traveling on. They said, We want a king. We want a king. And Basic Samuel said, No, God wants to be your king. No, we want a king like the heathen nations. Finally, after a long debate, God said, I will get them a king. They fell into God's permissive will, and they paid for it down the road. And I'm here to say, are you in God's permissive will or God's ultimate will? It's so important. Another account is Abraham. Remember, he was promised Isaac, their promised son. And time went on, he became weary and well doing. And finally, he thought, well, I can help God. I'm going to go into Hagar, and she had Ishmael. And you know this story. Of the devastation of that marriage. And the outcome of Ishmael. We're still experiencing effects from that. He fell into God's permissive will. Not God's ultimate will. Through that wrong choice. Are you willing to lay your life on the altar. And find God's perfect will. And it will not be easy. But I can guarantee you. It will bring life and vitality. And joy and peace. And direction in your life. I have told young people. When they're young. I said, how do you know in 10, 20, 30 years you're going to have a happy marriage? I said, you have no idea. In all your good smarts and all your good understanding, you cannot master your spouse. I said, the only thing you can do is fall in the hands of Almighty God and plead that you can have a good marriage the whole way to the end of your life. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what is good for you? Are you willing to place your life into them realms? Are you going to be the person that I'm going to stand up and and master my way through because I'm intelligent? I I know what I want to pursue. And I see people doing that. And I know of a young girl that was so desperate to get married. She said, even though if I have to marry a fence post, I'm going to marry a fence post. That's how radical some people get. And I see people stepping outside of God's will and living in God's permissive will, and then 10, 20 years down the road, you're like, How did it get here? Why do I'm experiencing such drastic, uh, devastating outcome? You're probably following in God's permissive will. Because God did not set up marriages to fail, He don't set up churches to fail. If we fail, we have stepped out of God's divine order. That's what He wants. Are we willing to step aside and let Him order a life? Life and death are in your hands. God has given you the power of choice. He will not do that for you. He could have programmed us as robots that we could just articulate exactly according to His will. That would not please Him. But it pleases Him and delights Him. When we choose Him against all the odds... And all the Lormans out there in the world. By your choices, you will place yourself in heaven or hell. There's no neutral place. Your choices will slowly lead you one way or another. Life is serious. I see multitudes of people on the broad way. Deceived that they are on the right way. And thinking they are on the right way. God help us when we don't walk in the light, deception is on the heels of all that and will be the outcome. Deception enters our hearts when we know the truth, but we do not obey. We live in perilous times, brothers and sisters. Men are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Self-expression is on the rise in a powerful way. Boasters, proud, unthankful, disobedient to, Parents, no fear of God. I see it on the rise, and it just makes me tremble as a leader of our churches. God help us. Where have we gone? I think we have charted an easy course. Pursuing the things of this world, we're losing perception and wisdom of what God really wants. And I wish we could say that it's all out in the world, all this carnality all these fleshly pursuits, but it's among us. The sin sometimes is near us. God help us. Let's take up the cross and follow Him. Must Jesus bear His cross alone? Are we willing to take up our cross and say no like Jesus did and make them hard choices? A couple Bible characters on the positive side. We have Noah that feared God and made excellent choices. He had a passion to please God and he obeyed all the commandments of the Lord to the smallest detail. We will not be here without the faithfulness of Noah. And I was astounded as I did a little study of all the little details that God has given to him, and he obeyed, it, obeyed the blueprint very well. And the thing that caught my eye is when God says, put the pitch on the outside, in the inside of the ark. And he could have said, God, this doesn't make any sense. You know, it makes sense to pull on the outside, but to pull inside, that's just extra. No, he didn't do that. He said, I will follow the blueprint. I will do exactly what God has told me to do. The little things of life matter. They do matter. Everything matters. And we have the outstanding character of Joseph. Joseph's life could have turned out totally different. He could have drowned it in self-pity. Feeling rejected. The root of bitterness could have been part of his experience and could have destroyed him. He could have said life is not fair and it wasn't fair. But that wasn't his focus. He could have questioned God's goodness. Why am I here by myself, away from my family, away from the community, into this heathen nation? But he had a connection with God, a deep connection, that bridged the gap and carried him through the lowest valleys of his life. He made them hard choices to follow God in spite of all the wicked surroundings and all the wicked pressures of Egypt. Then he faced the greatest test of his life when Potiphar won a relationship with him. Outstanding. A man of God. He said, No, he said, I can't do this and sin against God. Had, there was no church there, there was no family there to hold him accountable. But there was a deep connection with his Heavenly Father. And that's what we're lacking today is a deep connection with our Heavenly Father. How can I do this and sin against God if? That would be part of our experience. We would be deeper in the love of Christ. And we'd have a glorious outcome of righteousness and holiness and truth in a powerful way. And after he won that great victory, they threw him in prison. He could have died in self-pity again, in defeat. He got back up and started being a servant. Got his focus off himself and all the things that he was going through. And on to His Heavenly Father and become a servant there. He made tremendous, wise choices. Making right choices invites the power and grace of God in your life. Also, your choices are a true revelation of your heart. And your heart will follow your treasure. What you treasure, what makes you tick, what makes you talk about things... Is your treasure and your heart is right there. You cannot separate your heart and your treasure. A lot of people talk about, Oh, i got a good heart, a pure heart, and a wonderful heart. You locate their treasure and that's where their heart is. They're connected. You can't separate them. There's total continuity there. Each decision will will affect your heart and will lead you closer to Jesus Christ or farther away. Each choice you make will stimulate pride or humility. Let's all pursue the low road where Jesus Christ is. I am meek and I am lowly. And I saw the devastation of this one family. This young family had a glorious testimony of Jesus Christ. And it was a singing family and they hit the road. And they went to prisons and they sung in prisons. And finally... They got into the spotlight of the public eye. And that started to mar their hearts. The public eye where all the praise, the recognition was given to them of these great songs. And it started eroding that family. Today, that family is not even close to what they used to be. It saddens my heart. And I ask the question, why? Why are they where they are today? My conclusion is wrong choices. They put themselves in a dangerous position. And they loved the praise and recognition of men in spite of what Jesus was telling them to do. Their choices stimulated pride. They pursued professionalism because they won the praise and recognition of men. And that's what they did. They performed well and they worked hard to sing as a family. And their focus was on themselves. And they lost out. Professionalism will desensitize a person. Here's a strong warning to professionalism. I don't mind singing choirs and all that. But I love to see a singing choir where they're singing from the heart, and it don't have to be perfect. I'd rather see that than professionalism. And there are some groups that I just cringe because I just know their passion is to be professional. And I think God just turns His head the other way when He sees that, because they get the glory, and God goes out the door. And He's saddened very much when that aspect happens. So, what are we pursuing? To bring glory to Jesus Christ, herself. I'm convinced this family would have turned out totally different if they would have charted a more excellent course, a different course, took the lowly course where Jesus is. Pride is very destructive. There affects thousands of people. Back to Adam and Eve, there was another comment that I want to make about them. We know they had pure hearts before the lord no questions asked the fellowship was there there was no sin in their life they had perfect harmony with their heavenly father and so i asked a question where is the keeping power where is the missing link as i looked at adam and eve more closely i asked them questions where's the keeping power then where's the missing link so where is the keeping power? It's found in simple obedience to the Lordship of Christ. It's not this grand theology that you have to accomplish something magnificent. Walk in obedience. They knew what Jesus said and he disobeyed. So if you want to have the keeping power of God in your life, obey what you know is right to do. And you have the keeping power And also, it will extend into the next victory. And I see and I hear too many people, I made that decision because I want it that way. Head knowledge. And I hear a lot of great professions today, they can articulate a glorious testimony through a head knowledge. But their heart's not into obeying Christ. I see it. When you're born again, you should have abundance of righteousness, not a lack of them. It at all. And I see that today. And we're, we're tricked by professionalism when it comes to professions of salvation and experiences. So how are you making your decision? From your heart. And you cannot trust your heart. That is not your God. The Word of God in Christ is your God, not your heart. And I see many people talking about their heart. My heart is pure. Don't even touch me. Don't even judge me. Because my heart's pure. That is not your God. The Word of God is your God. The heart can be deceitful and wicked at times. We need to be honest with the truth and obey Him. How do you make your decision on human wisdom or rationalizer justification? These aspects will not produce the righteousness of God. Your choices reveal how obedient you are to Christ. By their fruits you will know them, not by their profession, not by what they declare, by what comes out of your life, your passion, your motivation, is the revelation of what is really deeply moving and living in your life. Christ said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy paths. May Christ fully direct all 35,000 decisions you make each day. That is my goal. I'm not there, brothers. I fail. I come short. But I must say, as time goes on, I'm giving more and more things to Jesus Christ. I want to be in the center of His will at all costs. Because I realize that's the only hope I have. For my family, my congregation is to be in the center of God's will. Because outside of that is nothing other than chaos, deception. I want to draw something else here. As we walk this journey of life. You have the cross, and we're all on a journey. We're coming in. We have Christ up here, and we're coming in here. And here's the crucial point, right here: when our will meets God's will, what do we say? Yes or no? And if we say yes, we can go on to higher ground and grow into Christ more and more. But I see many people coming to this crossroads, and it looks too hard, too difficult, and they go right through. Them. And this, this is the God of love that we serve. He's so loving that He takes us back around. And he, he brings us back over here again, and He wants us to come through, and He touches our life again and brings us to the crossroad. Are you going to follow the light? Are you going to be obedient? It's up to you. It's your choice. I remember precisely some years ago that I was faced with this decision right here. And I knew exactly what Jesus wanted me to do. And I wasn't willing to go there. And so I went through. And I could tell you this experience over here, I call it the wonderland. I wondered and wondered and wondered and I felt farther and farther away from Christ. And I'm like, why? I'm losing my vitality. My experience with God is, is becoming more disarray. More confusion. More questions in my life started happening. And I was like, why? And finally God said, I told you what you need to do. And you said No. And finally, after a journey of months and months, it might be six months, I finally said, Lord, I'm willing to go back to the for the, for the cross and say yes to you and go on. And I tell you, I remember that it was almost like a born-again experience. And experience again. I saw life from a whole different perspective. I saw direction. I saw purpose. And I had the fellowship with my Heavenly Father resumed again. I, I, there are so many people going through here and they just, that's all they do all their life. They never get anywhere. God help us. He wants us to take us to higher ground on and up toward heavenly values and experiences. Impulsive decisions never produce the righteousness of God. And I can tell you, I have made them. And when before I go buy a vehicle, I say, God, help me find the right vehicle that you want. I lay that on the altar because I bought some vehicles that I had to pay for. I had to for in a wrong way and lost a lot of money because I had to resell them because of my impulsive decisions. So I try to lay it before the Lord and inquire of Him because He knows what is best. He knows what's under the hood. I do not know. If you trust Him, your life will become more peaceful and restful. As you make these deep decisions, important decisions... Seek Christ first. Lay it before the Lord in prayer. Wait patiently for an answer. Also sometimes seek the counsel of their brotherhood. Submitting to one another in the fear of God brings one enlightenment in a powerful way. Many times God speaks through His people. Also seek the peace of God through each decision. When you don't have peace about something, Stop. Right there. And don't go any farther until you have peace and rest in your soul. Because that's the witness of God's presence with you. If you mar that, you'll be rubbed off. It's like a cog. It'll lose its sharpness and it'll be uh, pretty much rounded off. So mind the Spirit of God. Seek the peace of God. Be completely honest with the Spirit of God at all times. Also seek the counsel of your parents. They're out for your good, even though you might not fully understand and realize that they have your good in mind and they do care. And they see from a whole different perspective and a dimension more than what you see. What we want you to experience is life. And as you get down the road 10, 20 years, you can say that choice produced righteousness. And I'm thankful I made that choice. And I can testify this morning Of some decisions I am grateful for, but there are some that I hang my head in shame and wonder why I did such such things. Now we're going to get into the practical. We can talk about the principle a lot, but the application is so important. like I said before, each choice you make will stimulate pride or humility in your life. And this gets very practical. What about your houses you are going to build or going to buy? Will that stimulate pride or will that stimulate humility? And this gets very practical and this gets very real. And I'm convinced a lot of people buy houses... And build houses for the recognition and praise of men. Are we willing to take the low seat where Jesus Christ is? Or we want the praise and recognition of men? Consider that. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What are we building? An empire for self? To self-recognition? Or are we building upon the Lord Jesus Christ? The fruit of humility. What about the vehicles you buy? Are you taking that before the Lord in prayer? Will this stimulate pride in my life? Or will this make everybody turn their heads and admire the great truck that you have bought? With its pipes, and its tires, and all the flares, and all the whistles. What are you doing? If you want to end up right in 20, 30 years from now, you're going to have to make these hard decisions. If you stimulate the pride, you're going to be exactly where Lot was disappointed in years to come. We have to take the low road. Are we willing to buy vehicles that are more Christ-like, that don't have all the flares and all the whistles and all the wows? What about your clothes? Are you dressing for the admiration and the praise and recognition of people? Are you willing to dress in a humble, simple way, that depicts the humility of Christ. And I want to share with you my experience. Many, many years ago, I come from a very conservative background. And at one point, I thought that was a hindrance in my journey. I thought, you know, if we could maybe just move away from some of that into more looseness that so we can gain the world, and that's more stuffy and dry and just legalistic and whatever. What changed my whole mind on this subject was I have shared a message and looked in the humility of Christ. It has changed my whole view of life in every dimension. When I looked at the humility of Christ, he did something for me. When he came, he came as a baby. He didn't come as an adult. He was born in this dirty barn in the manger, and then he didn't have looks that was outstanding. Isaiah would depict that revelation. He was very comely. He wasn't beautiful. And his whole life, he should have got on the stallion rode the stallion in the town. But he got on the donkey. The little simple donkey. And rode in the town. He took the low seat in every area. And another thing that profounds me is he's, he said to that, that one ruler, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one which is good and that is my Heavenly Father. And he, des- he deserved all the praise and recognition because he was a son of God. But he always gave the glory to his heavenly father. He lived a life of humility to the highest degree. He took the low seat. Now, if you do your own study on the whole life of Christ and the aspect of humility, it should do something for you. It would change your life. And I guess what... What I'm saying is if I looked at the humility of Christ is I looked at my clothes and there were some shirts I had that were eye catchers. There was more bold colors that I wore for the recognition and praise of men. And I said, this is not the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ is going to dress more in the mild colors, not the eye catchers in the bright colors. That catches one eye for the recognition and praise of one. And that changed my life. And my conclusion of the whole matter, as I look at the life of Christ, if you follow the humility of Christ to the end degree, you're going to end up having a simple, conservative, plain-looking man. And that's not legalistic. That is alive and well. When you have Jesus Christ in your life, you're doing it for the cause of humility, because of Christ. And that's not legalistic. And I see people coming out of our church rebelling against anything that looks conservative. You can't even get a white shirt on some people anymore. It's just they have rebelled. And I have said, yeah, there's some dead formality in that church, but to undress them into something cool and calculated is not the answer. They need a heart change. Their outward to attire is okay. Their clothes is fine. That depicts more the humility of Christ than anything else. But they need their heart right. And I see people just laughing and sneering at the black hat, the suit coat. and I'm like, where are we headed, brothers? And I saw a whole church that put too much emphasis on that area of laughing and sneering. And a lot of the youth are now into the world in calculated, cool dress today. God help us. God help us. If you want power in your life, take the low seat. And I know this might be hitting you hard. This is the burden of my heart. We're going to last to the end. We're going to have to take the low seat. Where Jesus is. And when you take the low seat, that disarms Satan and his power. He loves pride. He builds his whole campaign on pride. And he wants you to become lifted up in your own mind. In your own outworking of life. And you want, He wants you to say, you got something going for yourself. But I guarantee it's going to be devastating. When you take the low road, it disarms His power into your life. It gives you grace and power in a marvelous way. What about technology? Are you pursuing the latest? The latest iPhone. they are ready to come out with 14 now. There are some young ones that just love the l- latest iPhone. Look at me. Look what I have. It stimulates the big eye. Self-indulging. Self-expression. To take the low seat in technology and buy the cheaper device in order to please Jesus Christ. What about your businesses? Are they small? Are they big? What's your goal? What's your ambition? Does it demonstrate the humility of Christ? Or does it echo what you have done in your dominion with your own hands? What about the way you comb your hair? Catches the eye. How are you combing your hair? For the praise and recognition of men, are you willing to comb your your hair in a more mild way to stay in the center of God's will where Jesus really is? This all matters. I filled my life up with pride many years ago in my teen life span and I regret it today. And I realized when I was out there, pride is a major driving force in the world and when I have entered the church of Jesus Christ, I see it too much among us as well. God help us Let's pursue humility. It's the answer to the gateway of life. And I was tested many years ago, and I, the Lord gave me this at the 11th hour, and I would just bare my heart. I remember as a young man, married, had a couple children, and I loved hunting deer, and I, I went as a whole for the meat. I enjoy the meat but I remember sitting in my living room thinking about hunting season coming up, and it was, I think, about July. I asked this question, and the Lord was preparing this whole thing in my journey. I asked this question, if I got a huge buck with a big rack, high tines, a trophy, what would Jesus really do? I asked that question, and as I analyzed that question, I said, what would Jesus do? Would he mount that big old uh, head on the wall and spend three, $400? I come to the conclusion he would not. And I, and I was thinking, you know, if I would do that, people would walk into my door and say, wow, that's a beautiful buck, and I could go tell them all the story and all the rosiness of how I accomplished that trophy. After a while, my heart would swell with pride, and I think I'd be a pretty good hunter. I come to the conclusion that that's not the way of Christ. Little did I know that season, I would get the biggest rack buck I ever shot in my life. And I'm like, wow, here we are. And I had a brother-in-law said, you're crazy for not mounting that buck. you are never get one bigger than that one. And I had the pressure from every side saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I tell you, I started wiggling a little wee bit in my journey. But I come back to, what did Jesus say back in July? And I stayed, of course, and I cut the horns off that head, and they're just on a plaque somewhere, and I could care less where they're at. That's not my passion. It's not my, my goal. Our Lord, Jesus Christ is my passion. I can guarantee if I would have hung that wonderful... Buckle on the wall, it would have affected my heart. and maybe affected my journey on toward being closer with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I know this gets close home. We can talk about principle all our life, but until we put it in practice and application, Jesus could have said, you know, I'm the king of humility. And he could have come down and rode the road to stallion and did everything different other than humility. But he demonstrated it. He flushed it out in shoe leather. He says, follow me as I follow the Father. Wasn't some glorious thing that he that he did, but it was he did it for Jesus. All these choices bear tremendous fruit. God resisted pride, gives grace to the humble. So that's my choice, or your choice today. Are you willing to be the lowly pilgrim and stranger? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. This is my heart cry this morning through our choices. Are we willing to make choices that lead us deeper and deeper and deeper toward Jesus? And I'm convinced if you take the humility of Christ and make it part of your life, it's going to bring unity. It's going to bring togetherness. It's going to bring power within the church of Jesus Christ. Because our focus and our passion is to be like him. And if we are like him, he brings all things together. And that is my heartbeat. I had a brother's meeting the other, the other uh, Wednesday night, and we talked about the outward close. And I guess I told the brother, I said, the heartbeat of, of me toward this congregation is, let's find the humility of Christ. And I picked that song, and we sung it there at Brothers Meeting, 459. I like to sing it in closing. Not I, but Christ would be seen and heard in every action and every look. That's my passion. If we could just take that song and say, Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever journey it takes to bring me to the foot of the cross where my, my passion, my goal is nothing other than Jesus, then life begins. Not I, but Christ. That's my challenge here. I want to give to you. We're bombarded with lots of choices in life that are we willing to make. The choices that will lead us toward the right end. Not confusion. Pride produces confusion on every area of life. So let's walk with Jesus. we are remember you in prayer as you journey with the Lord here in Iowa. Pray for us back there at St. Thomas. If you come to that area, stop in. We'd love to have you. So God um, may have his perfect way and our will and our lives. May God richly bless you. Let's sing that song, 459. Let's sing it with a real focus on what he really wants from us. Thank you.